Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 59 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about three very common running injuries. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to another episode of the marathon running podcast if this is your first time tuning in welcome and thank you for giving my podcast a shot in this podcast we basically come up with weekly content and have the goal of helping you enjoy running even more than you already do. And we try to do so by showing how to stay motivated and getting out the door, by having you hear inspirational stories from other runners, by having you learn about coaching and training, or by providing you with expert information for nutrition or injuries. So if you're not new, you already know all that, and I want to welcome you back. We're very grateful for you tuning in every week. So my name is Letty and I'm your host and I'm normally accompanied by my husband Ryan who shares my love for running but today you're going to have to just settle with me as Ryan couldn't make it. Lucky for you though you won't have to listen to my monologue because we have a very interesting and awesome guest who is known for myth basting when it comes to physiotherapy for runners and I'm going to tell you all about him. So Brody Sharp is an Australian physiotherapist who's come onto the show many times. He's also the host of the Run Smarter podcast, which is a consistent top five running podcast in the United States and Australia. And today we decided that we wanted to talk to him about those very common and nagging running injuries. We figured that this would be a good topic for fall races are about three months away and many of you marathoners are getting deeper into their training and ramping up the miles. And this is also a good topic for newer runners as they progress in their running journey and start accumulating more mileage, which means injuries can creep up. So in this particular episode, we talked to Brody about plantar fasciitis, runner's knee, and stress fractures. We dive into each of these injuries and learn about what they are, why they happen, and if there's something we can do to prevent them from recurring. And then, of course, a little bit about prognosis and treatment. We also talk about what people are candidates for injuries more so than others. And we also talk about the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral, a very interesting concept. Last but not least, we also talk about how to get back into your training after taking time off from running. Because if you are on a marathon training schedule, then sometimes there's a lot of confusion as to what week you should start with after you had taken time off. Hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll have Brody back on as a guest again and talk about some other common running injuries such as shin splints, hamstring, and Achilles tendinopathy. 
Hopefully you will enjoy this conversation with Brody and I will let you listen to that right now. All right, so I'm here with Brody Sharp, the Australian physiotherapist. Brody, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure, lady. Thanks for having me back on. Of course. And since we've, um, hold on. And since we've had quite a few new listeners lately, I would like for you to perhaps introduce yourself and tell our listeners how you're an expert in this field of physiotherapy, injury, injury prevention, and coaching. Great. I'd love to. So um, I am from Melbourne, Australia, and I host the Run Smarter podcast. And I'm a physiotherapist by trade who became a runner halfway through their physio career and just saw the, um, I was riding the wave of being injured myself, but also catching the bug and loving running and treating runners in my clinic really wanted to get the best outcomes for them. Recognized there was a lot of misconceptions in the running community around how to get better and how to prevent injuries. And so recognized that I needed to um, like create a, a bigger mission for myself. And so my mission now is to um, create a lot of clarity and control around how to prevent running injuries and how to overcome running injuries. And so I do that through the Run Smarter podcast and other various social media platforms. And I also have transitioned out of like physiotherapy clinics to my own online physio clinic where I treat runners all over the world. So I only work with runners now and yeah, it, it combines well with the mission that I'm on just to help runners get the best outcomes possible. Absolutely. And you've done quite a bit. You've been on our show a bunch of times in the past and we really appreciate you coming back today as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So let's dive in. What do you see in your clinics? What are the three or three of the most common runners injuries that you think we should be discussing today? I think if we're addressing the runners in general, I think we can't not talk about patellofemoral pain. The it, It's essentially like pain around the kneecap. So I'm happy to dive in that today. I think plantar fasciitis is one that's particularly common, but hangs around for a very long period of time. And so that can be quite stubborn. Um, so I'm happy to talk about that today. And also I think stress fractures essentially, because it's not that common, but it's something that it's like a runner's worst nightmare when they are diagnosed with a stress fracture, because it's one of the most severe um, injuries that a runner can get. And so talking about what causes it, how we can prevent it would be particularly useful for listeners today. So I think we, we dive into those three. That sounds awesome. And I would love to start with plantar fasciitis. I actually dealt with plantar fasciitis myself last I know. July. <laughs> yeah. It started in July. It did not go away basically until late November, I want to say. And it was pretty devastating and confusing and I know I talked to you a bunch about how it crept up and things I could have done. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, can you tell us what it is and what causes it? Sure. Um, so the plantar fascia isn't, isn't tendon, isn't muscle. It behaves similar to a tendon, but it's just like a, um, a ridge, an arch, a trust that's kind of um, connective tissue underneath your foot and it helps support your foot and helps um, provide a lot of um, movement and support, what we need for propulsion. And essentially what it is, is overloading of that tissue. 
it connects underneath the heel and um and also just like continues on for the rest of the arch of the foot but where it does get overload and where most of the pain would arise it almost feels directly underneath the heel a little bit more towards the inside so towards the big toe side of the heel and very characteristically would um, present as soreness stiffness pain in the morning usually during your first few steps when you wake up and can in the early stages um, resolve once it warms up a bit. So going for a, a walk might feel a bit stiff, but once you've warmed up, once you go into a jog, it can completely alleviate in the early stages. Once it gets more aggressive, then it's a bit harder to for it to settle during a run. But that's essentially what it is. It's just overloading of that tissue. Um, first few steps in the morning is a very classic sign. And it's usually very localized underneath that heel, especially in the early phases and can very much very slowly creep up on you it's one of those things where it presents as like stiffness or just like a very very minor irritation for a couple of weeks and then just doesn't go away and then just gets more and more aggressive as it's mismanaged and as you continue to overload it that um, presentation becomes more aggressive and more severe and then all of a sudden your steps in the morning are more painful might turn into a limp might take longer to fade or warm up and yeah, then you're, you're presenting with quite an aggressive form of plantar fasciitis. So that's, um, I guess, my description of what it is and some of the common characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. And I can completely attest to that downward spiral of it because when it crept up on me, it was just like you said in the morning and it would alleviate during your run. And it got to the point where I could not run at all. I couldn't hike. I could barely walk without limping. And I was wearing special shoes that had some foam in them that I would never now want to be seen in in public. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about prevention, because obviously in my case, I had mismanaged it with the first onset of pain. I'm assuming is that you're going to tell me something can be done. And I would love to know what it is that we can do to keep it from progressing. Does that mean we have to sit out on our training or do certain stretches? Yeah. And I think there's a slight difference between preventing plantar fasciitis and stopping it from getting worse once you have plantar fasciitis. Um, so let's just say to start with, if symptoms are very mild and you're starting to get that very subtle stiffness underneath the heel with your first few steps in the morning, they're the clear signs that it's it's undergoing some sort of reaction. You're overloading the plantar fascia in some particular way. Um, so the early signs, which can be really easy to overcome, is just to temporarily offload, particularly if you have subjected the plantar fascia to a spike in load, because we know that that's um, a very common presentation or a very common cause for developing this. So for an example, if you've changed your work requirements, it requires a lot more standing, particularly standing still, or if you've transitioned from a supportive shoe to something with less support, um, if you have spent a lot more time barefoot walking, maybe you're on the beach uh, and just spending a lot more time walking in sand, all of these things require a lot of load um, through the plantar fascia. And sometimes if that load is too much and it's too abrupt, that's when it can start stirring up. So if you catch it in that moment when you are waking up with a bit of morning stiffness underneath the heel um, 
and you've recognized that there's a spike in training, the best thing to do is not continue with that spike. You want to maybe temporarily have a bit more footwear or just offload the foot for a couple of days. Um, be sensible with your training, making sure there's no spikes and huge demand, maybe change to more of a supportive shoe in those particular for a couple of days or for a couple of weeks, um, allow those symptoms to subside. You can do a little bit of stretching. Stretching has been shown to alleviate some symptoms. Um, so one of the plantar fascia stretches would be to um, lean with your foot against a wall so that the toes are extended against the wall and then you're kind of stretching the calf but extending the toes at the same time against that wall and you should feel like a, a nice stretch underneath the foot. Um, but just changing those training loads that cause that that in, that spike in the first place is the easiest and best management. And if that goes ignored and the symptoms progress um, and it gets a lot more severe, then treatment has to be quite different. We can do taping. We have to do strengthening. We have to um, offload the fascia itself to calm down any aggravated symptoms. So settle it down for one to two days and then slowly build the capacity back up. Um, orthotics can be quite nice for people in the short term to help relieve their symptoms, to help just create that support and offload the, the fascia in a particular way. Um, but when we're talking about preventing it, it's kind of in the same line as early stages of treatment, but when we come to just recognizing any abrupt changes, particularly uphill running, transitioning to minimal footwear, um, walking around barefoot, standing still for long periods of time, just more time on feet that you're used to, that you're not used to, that's too abrupt, recognizing these and recognizing that it will be a huge spike through the plantar fascia and recognize that we need to make sensible decisions um, or allow enough time for the plantar fascia to adapt and get stronger if there are changes in your environment to prevent that spike in load and therefore prevent the likelihood of um, developing plantar fasciitis. All right. And so are there any, besides what you're seeing with the increase in load, are there any people that are bigger candidates for plantar fasciitis, such as people that normally have tight calves or Achilles problems anywhere or people that have flat feet or despite what people may read or think um, people there's there's two types of um, populations we used to know we used to know that like your sedentary type that's quite overweight um, or just had a recent increase in body weight and then they've let themselves go, then they have to walk for long periods of time, they're likely to develop plantar fasciitis because, again, it's a spike in load. The, when you stand for long periods of time, if you are heavier, there's going to be more load through the plantar fascia. So the sedentary population also develop this plantar fasciitis, but we also see it in the very elite um, athletic population as well. But the causes and mechanisms are totally different, whereas one is just inactive but just a lot of load through standing and walking the other is light load i get because of the the weight of the body but generating high levels of force because of running and that spike in force leads to a spike in plantar fascia so um we do see it in both spectrums both of those popular popular population spectrums but um yeah there's has uh when it comes to foot position um, when it comes to 
foot shape, when it comes to level of pronation, it doesn't seem there is a link. It seems that no matter what your foot shape, no matter what your foot type, the body adapts in the same way that it would if it's a neutral foot compared to a pronated foot. But where the differences come in is the change in training. So if a pronated foot has an abrupt change to footwear or an abrupt change to running, they will develop, they will increase their likelihood of developing plantar fasciitis. Same with that person who has a neutral shoe with a neutral foot and has that same abrupt change. So something to bear in mind, despite what you might might read around plantar fasciitis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like I said earlier, there's so much misinformation on the internet and, you know, it's one of those things that I grabbed from the internet and explained in my head, but I'm glad that you're clarifying or myth busting as you usually do. So you were saying that once we figure out, oh, we do have plantar fasciitis and you suggested to take a couple of days or take it easy for a couple of days, I want you to tell our listener about your theory of the pain rest weakness, downward spiral, and why we should not completely stop running and how that could make things worse. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, thanks for bringing that up because it is one of my like principles I talk about really often, especially when it comes to plantar fasciitis. And it's one of my um, universal principles that I have in my podcast. Um, it's within the first 10 episodes of the podcast, if you want to refer back to that. But it's essentially what happens when someone gets injured. It's usually oh, a running related injury. It's due to a spike in load. And what happens is the tissues of that injury become sensitive and they become irritated if um, they just can't subject the same load or the same, they don't have the same capacity as they once did while they're in this current um, sensitized state. So if someone has plantar fasciitis and they run five miles, if it's irritated, they can no longer run that five miles because it stirs up. And what some people do is once they have that warm up effect, um, they go for that run and they feel fine because symptoms like have that warm up effect. But the next day they're really sore because they've overloaded it during that run. They just don't know it at the time. And so they wake up and they're like, damn, I've really, um, I I've really like created this, um, this pain. I've really overdone things. Let me just rest and take a couple of days off, maybe a week off, let that settle. And then I'll get back into running. And so what they do is they rest for about a week. They go back to running, they try five miles, it flares up again. And they say, damn, maybe I just need more time to rest. And they take more time off, allow the time to recover. And they repeat the same cycle over and over again. But this time they go for a two mile run and that flares them up and they they continue this trend. And what's happening is the tissues themselves are quite sensitive. They're um, in this sensitized state. They can no longer withstand the same load that they once did, but if you combine that with rest, what you're doing is further weakening that structure. You're further, um, yeah, creating more weakness. And if you flare it up again, that triggers more of a sensitized state, which triggers more weakness. And then if you combat that with further resting, then you continue down this trend. And so that's why I call it the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral, especially with plantar fasciitis that can spiral down to walking throughout the day causes pain. And then you stop like long walks and you wear more supportive shoes for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden, um, short walks 
or standing still for 10 minutes starts to produce pain. And then you have to, you know, constantly wear orthotics, constantly avoid standing. And then that triggers more weakness. And so you can just see this downward spiral and how debilitating can get. It goes outside of running and starts to affect your everyday life. And then it starts to really hinder your everyday life, which can be really, really tricky because the further down you are, the further into that downward spiral you are, the harder it is to work your way back up because we're dealing with such a small capacity. And so catching it as early as you can and working your way back up is um, usually the best way to do it. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I I love how you explain that. I guess at some point, it's just better to still push through a little bit of pain so long as we know that we're trying to do that in order not to make us weaker. Mm, absolutely. All right. So we talked about plantar fasciitis, but is there any like tips that you can give us? Because if we follow a marathon training plan and we're trying to go for a PR and that requires us to do put in a lot of miles, how can we still have that spike in load without getting injured? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, usually what happens in a marathon training plan is yes, you're increasing your overall mileage and you're increasing the overall load, but it's done so gradually. And so it's gradual enough for the body to adapt and um, build upon that increase in mileage. Same if you go to the gym and you do bodyweight squats, and then the next week you do squats with five kilograms, the next time you do squats with 10 kilograms, and you're slowly building up, your body gets stronger as the demands allow. And so that's why following a marathon plan is so nice is because um, – you're just slowly building things up and the body's just recognizing it. It's challenging, but it's not enough. It's enough to hit your adaptation zone, but not create that huge spike. And a lot of times when people develop these running related injuries, they can look back one or two weeks and see that their training is a bit too abrupt. They've gone from 20 miles a week to 30 miles a week. And that's just been too much for them. Whereas if it goes from 20 miles a week to 22 miles a week, that's just, enough to allow the body to get stronger as you continue that build up. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's really important that we do have a great training plan, I guess. So we shouldn't just trust any training plan of the internet and definitely not rush our training. Yeah, totally agree. All right. So let's move on to the next injury. Uh, would you like to talk about stress fractures or runner's knee? Um, I think we'll leave stress fractures to the end. So um, runner's knee or patellofemoral pain, as what we like to call it, is the most common running-related injury. But I often see people resolve this injury a lot quicker than, say, plantar fasciitis or stress fractures. Um, but there's a lot of misconceptions around this particular type of pain. And characteristically, it's described as pain around the kneecap, very hard to localize with like a pinpoint. If you were to try and point with a finger where the pain is, people really struggle to see, find where it is. And they end up like kind of drawing a line around their kneecap. Um, and it's very hard to localize, but essentially what's going on here, very similar to plantar fasciitis and very similar to a whole bunch of other running related injuries is there is a spike in load, um, a spike in training load that might be from the gym, it might be from running, might be elsewhere, but um, 
for the vast, vast majority of patellofemoral pain runners, that it's due to a spike in training. Um, so mileage and speed, um, maybe doing more uphill running um, just creates a, an enormous force through the knee every step. So every step that you take when you run generates around about two, two to three times your body weight in load every single step. And so that accumulates quite quickly. And so if there's an abrupt change, the knee starts to think um, it's undergoing too much then starts to become sore. Um, and where there's a lot of misconceptions is that someone might go to a health professional and they do a few tests on their knee and they start to have a lot of this threatening language um, or fearful language that say, you know, your ITB is too tight, your quads are too weak, um, there's too much imbalance, it's the kneecap isn't positioned in its groove um, like it should. So it's drifting outside of its groove and causing maltracking is a is language that they like to use. It could, generates a lot of fear for a runner. Um, but what's if the language was used a bit more carefully and what I like to use with my runners is just explain to them that you've got a sore knee because it's been overloaded. All we need to do is change your training slowly build up the capacity of your knee to tolerate those levels of running and then slowly build you you back up because we now know that um, it's not due to a tight ITB. We know that it's not due to mal uh, the um, kneecap malposition or maltracking. Um, we do know that quad strengthening does help, but it's not because it's changing the position of the knee. It's because it's building up the capacity of the knee. Um, so, Please, if you are listening to this and you have been told those really fearful kind of language, just make sure that um, you're heading to the right physio and, and just have the reassurance to know you've been running the same way your entire life. You've had that same kneecap position your entire life and you haven't had knee pain in the past. All that's changed now is that you've ran, you know, 20 miles in a week and you've changed it to 30 miles a week and it's been too much. Um, so the way that you change, uh, the way that you're running, um, and the position that the kneecaps in hasn't changed. All it has is your training loads. That is so interesting you say that because while I've never had knee pain, I've heard a lot of my friends being told exactly that that their kneecap is not in the right position, or that they do have weak uh, quads or calves, and that that causes their knee problems. So that's really interesting that you say that. Yeah, a lot of um, health professionals they they want to find a biomechanical fault, or they want to find the reason for the injury that's allowing a lot of buy-in. And it sounds great at the time; it creates a lot of fear, which creates a lot of buy-in. Like that runner will start listening to everything that they need to do because it's so fearful. They're like, "Oh, I want my kneecap back in place." Um, but it's really unhelpful for someone to have that belief, to ingrain that belief in them, to go back to running, but think their their kneecap smell tracking. It's really detrimental to their recovery. Yeah. And so along the lines of being told that, I know that there are knee braces being sold 
and runners are being told that they are for the purpose of holding the kneecap in a certain place. I want to hear what your thoughts are on braces for this injury. And we didn't address it earlier with the plantar fasciitis where you have a brace that you can wear at night that keeps your foot in a certain position. So your tendon is stretched out. Could we talk about um, each one of those uh, braces? Sure. Let's, let's start with the knee. So um, knee braces often very unhelpful for especially running. Um, you might try, let's just say in your rehab, the idea is to do squats. And um, I would often find a squat that's not producing any pain or not provoking any pain. So it might be only doing half range or only doing wall sits and then just slowly building up from there. However, if you can do a squat pain-free with a lot of weight with the brace, um, that might be something we can look into for the short term and then wean off that brace. But when it comes to running, um, often unhelpful because you might be not running in your natural biomechanics. You might be putting more pressure on the other side. You might be restricting your movements because of the brace. And if you are unable to run low amounts without the brace, my clinical justification is you're not ready and we need to build up the capacity of the knee through rehab, through lunges, squats, all those things that we know and love, um, and then slowly progress to a walk-run program, slowly build up more running capacity and just follow symptoms along that. So you don't need the brace. Um, and if you do find a lot of benefit with the brace, let's just do it with your exercises only, so your squats and have the plan to wean off it um, gradually as symptoms allow. And I guess with the plantar fasciitis, um, if you're talking about the night splints, so that would be a brace that holds you, holds that foot back. Um, there's actually evidence to show that it, it is effective. Um, not too sure. We're not too sure why it's effective, um, but it often is quite uncomfortable to use, but it is, um, it does help alleviate symptoms in the short term. So it's a nice, short-term strategy, similar to the stretching, the plantar fascia stretching throughout the day. Um, if you find it tolerable, if you can last with it for a night, but I know people, some people do wear it and find it extremely uncomfortable to wear overnight and they just stick to the stretches. But in my eyes, it seems that that's just the short-term approach and you need to build up the capacity somehow through active rehab in order to achieve those long-term outcomes. I see. So you're saying if it's uncomfortable to wear, don't worry about doing it because it's not really a long-term solution anyway. Yeah. Especially if you're losing sleep, especially if you're trying to wear it overnight yeah. and it's too uncomfortable that you're losing sleep because we know sleep is the best recovery tool you have. Um, so if you are losing sleep over it, or if it sometimes it's bad for just one night and then it sort of becomes easier a subsequent night. So if it becomes easier, then that's okay. Give it a couple of days or so. But if it's way too uncomfortable and you're losing a lot of sleep, I'd rather take it off, do some stretches throughout the day and actually have a better night's sleep. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, thank you for clarifying, all, clarifying also about the knee braces. I like what you said earlier about not running with a knee brace, but rather just doing exercise, because if you can't run without one, then, no, then you're not ready. And I wanted to do a follow-up question on that one, because I know that sometimes we as runners like taking anti-inflammatories to help us. But do you think for 
pains like knee pain and plantar fasciitis, it's a good idea to take anti-inflammatories or should we just let the body do its healing and prevent uh, and, and not take that? Um, so as we know with patellofemoral pain and plantar fasciitis, um, inflammation isn't the primary driver for these injuries. So there's not a lot of inflammation present. Therefore, anti-inflammatories aren't really indicated um, and shouldn't really be taken beyond like one or two days of like a flare-up per se where there's a lot of pain, a lot of irritability. Um, all you're doing is, first of all, masking a lot of pain. Like if you take if you take some anti-inflammatories and go for a run, you're masking pain when your body's giving you some sort of alarm signals to say maybe we're doing too much. You're masking that and um, paying the consequences later on. But two, if you're taking anti-inflammatories long-term, say if you're taking it during a run for a couple of weeks, we know now that anti-inflammatories are detrimental to bone uh, to body tissues. We know that taking in anti-inflammatories for a long period of time, say a couple of weeks, has real bad, um, it affects the structure of tendons. It, it's detrimental to the structure of tendons and can increase the likelihood of tendon injuries in the future. So um, we need to be really careful with how we prescribe and how we take anti-inflammatories. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying that. And with that, I would love to move on to our last injury of stress fractures. Can you tell us what stress fractures are, how we get them as runners? Sure. So um, similar to, well, I guess it's the same with all the other injuries that we've discussed today. It is due to overload, but particularly in this circumstance, it's due to um, bone healing or bone stress. Um, what happens is when you have, when you do a workout, when you um, say pound the pavement during your run, when you hit the ground, when you hit the concrete, it sends a shock through the bones and it applies a bit of a bend on the bones and causes stress. And sometimes if it's in the right environment and it's fostering the right load, this stress can be good because it triggers this stress and a, a reaction happens within the bone itself where it breaks down a little bit of this bone tissue, but because there's a bit of a breakdown, there's uh, a reaction that happens that um, builds it back up, similar to delayed onset muscle soreness. If you do some bicep curls, you're, you're almost tearing, having these like micro tears in the muscle. It's sore the next day, but as a result of that reaction, it gets stronger. And so the same thing happens to the bone. It's this living, breathing um, tissue that's constantly adapting to load that you put through it. However, if this equation of build up, break down um, is imbalanced, so if you do too much break down of the tissue and not enough build up of the, the bone tissue, it starts to undergo bony stress. And so the bone itself can get a bit sore, can get a bit achy, um, at nights, you might get a bit of a throb, a bit of an ache. And if you continue to ignore these and continue training, then this bony stress progresses, gets a lot more, a lot worse and can progress to a stress fracture. Um, this can be quite immediate. So if someone decides to run, uh, increase their mileage tremendously and they're using minimal footwear, um, Actually, minimal footwear is a classic one. If you are used to running in supportive shoes and all of a sudden you've aggressively transitioned to these minimalist shoes and then you're pounding the pavement constantly, 
maybe in a week, maybe in two weeks, that bony stress can accumulate and you can develop a stress fracture in your foot. Um, that's a pretty common uh, example. And so, um, yeah, what happens is the bone undergoes this reaction, undergoes this stress fracture, and we have to um, deal with the repercussions later on, which it's usually the exception to the rule, this pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral that I often talk about. Stress fractures are usually the exception because if it's an aggressive stress fracture, we have to treat it with rest. It's one of those injuries that needs time off. It needs time to heal. Otherwise, it's not going to, and that's why it's such a, a severe detrimental impact to runners when they do receive this stress fracture diagnosis. And it happens in different parts of the body, it can happen in your foot, in your shin, uh, in your hip, in your lower back, um, so many areas. And there are categories of a high risk or a low risk stress fracture, depending where it is in your body. So a high risk stress fracture might be in the, um, the neck of your, uh, your femoral neck. So up in your hip, um, that takes a lot, lot, a lot longer to heal because there's less blood supply. So longer time off running. So sometimes 12 weeks, um, the front portion of your shin, what we call the anterior border of your shin is also a high risk area for stress fractures. Unlike the inside of the shin, which is where sort of where you get shin splints, which is a low risk area of shin splints. And so a whole bunch of different areas, a whole bunch of different rules, depending on the area that it has. But then there's also a different spectrum. It could be grade one, grade two, grade three, it could only be a mild stress reaction or a full-blown, really aggressive stress fracture. Yeah, that's so interesting. And for runners that have that sort of pain, I guess the only way to find out what they have is by getting imaging done. Is that correct? Yeah, good question. Um, stress fractures are very often diagnosed too late. Like they're diagnosed with something else like shin splints or plantar fasciitis or um, just lateral hip pain or something that's a lot more common. And it's often down the track when it's very aggressive or treatments, you're not responding to treatments, not getting better. Then they say, oh, let's just send you for scans and let's see what's going on. And then they diagnose stress fracture and it's usually way too far down the track and way too aggressive. And then the management needs to be, you know, no running for a lot longer as opposed to if it would have been picked up a lot, a lot sooner. Um, so yeah, you need to go to a health professional who's very proficient with seeing runners or, has in the back of their mind to always um, think maybe there's a stress fracture there. And as soon as there's non-response to treatment or if the clinical presentation just doesn't fit what they think it is, um, they can just send you for scans. And usually it's MRI. MRIs will always pick it up. Sometimes bone scans can, but um, X-rays won't. Um, ultrasounds usually won't unless it's a very aggressive form, but yeah, usually bone scans or MRIs are usually the ones that um, pick up a stress fracture quite well. Right, perfect. And so then once we receive the bad news, then I guess the prognosis is that we have to stay off, not run for pretty much the same timing as we would do if we had a, a, a real fracture of a bone. Yeah, so it's just allowing for bone healing. And so it will depend on the severity. It will depend on the area. Um but sometimes four weeks off, sometimes four to six weeks off, it can be up to eight weeks, depending on the area, depending on a couple of other factors. But yes, time off. You can still exercise, you can still exercise upper body, exercise your other leg. You can, depending on the um, 
level of severity. You can do cycling. You can do swimming. You can do other things that just don't put the same load through the bone, allow it time to rest, allow it time to heal. And then you have to just slowly integrate loading. So walk jogs and then just slowly build up from there and just follow, pay attention to symptoms along the way. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier, every runner's nightmare to hear that you have a stress fracture because that really takes you off from running. So with that, I want to go to our last question. And I want to ask you that because you are a run coach as well. What do you tell your clients slash patients when they are diagnosed with an injury that takes one week, two weeks, six weeks to heal in the midst of a training plan? How do runners jump back into a training plan if they have a fall or winter marathon? This is a very common scenario where runners get very stuck. They're at, say, week 10 of their training program. Then they're injured and they've had to take two weeks off. Um, and then, you know, the, the marathon's six weeks away and they're like, okay, what should I do? I've had two weeks off. Should I go back to week 10 where I started? Should I accelerate myself to week 12 um, and just see how I go? Or should I start at week 10 but then accelerate the increase in mileage to hopefully um, be okay come that race time. People get stuck. And so usually if we were being preventative or forecasting, if I was to plan a, um, a running program for someone who's training for a half marathon or a full marathon, I'd actually implement a couple of buffer weeks. I'd, if your marathon is 12 weeks away, I would start that 12-week program 14 weeks away from the, the race so that we have a couple of weeks buffer just in case these things happen, just in case um, you start getting a bit of soreness, just in case you go away on holidays and can't run. You know, life throws this curveball, so it's good to have that buffer. If there is no buffer or if we exceed our buffer, then we're stuck with some individual circumstances that we have to base on the individual, how aggressive the injury is, what the injury is, what we can do. Um, but I can provide some advice. One, if you are injured, you need to stay active with um, strength training, with cross training. If you are unable to run, we do need to implement some sort of cross training or some other form to maintain your aerobic fitness, maintain all the other capacity of all the other tissues and, um, yeah, just maintain that fitness until that injury can tolerate certain levels of running, then we slowly work you back in. So an example of that, let's just say if uh, we'll use one of our examples today. So plantar fasciitis, if someone has a mild form of plantar fasciitis and we say you currently can't tolerate the next week in your running program, what we can do is still keep you running, but it's going to be um, we're going to reduce the load. We're going to reduce the load by say 30%. That way it's not going to irritate that tissue because it can tolerate 30% less. But in that, in the meantime, while we're building that tissue capacity back up, I want you to do some cycling um, because cycling, it does great work for the quads, glutes, a little bit of the calves, um, but also is very challenging aerobically. So you're going to maintain if not improve on your aerobic capacity but it's very low demand on the plantar fasciitis or the plantar fascia and so let's implement a couple of cycling sessions in the next couple of weeks slowly build your running back up and um, continue on that running program so 
every injury will follow a very similar guideline, similar to that, but the ingredients that we use will be different depending on the injury. So if it's knee pain, the the cycling might not be a good option because cycling puts the knee through quite a large range, quite a large load. And so we might have to do something like a cross trainer or we might have to do swimming or we might have to do uh, just another form of aerobic sort of work where it's not triggering a high demand, but still working you quite hard aerobically. Yeah, that's some great advice, Brody. Thank you so much. And uh, I guess bottom line is this coming race might not be your A goal and that we have to be patient with ourselves because we want to be running for the long term. Yeah, there's always the next race. And I know it's sometimes a really hard judgment call to make, but that's when I like to weigh up the, the, the pros and cons of a race let's just say someone gets injured they've taken a couple of time a couple of weeks off and their a goal for the marathon isn't achievable and they're not too sure if they should keep the marathon change it to a half marathon um, whether they should do it at all this is where you have to have a really candid chat with your health professional and the runner and you need to factor all these things in and weigh up the risks and rewards of doing the race not doing the race and in most cases, look, there's always going to be another race. Um, this is only just like one chapter in your whole running journey. It's not like the end goal. There'll always be another race. And if you weigh up the risks and decide to do the marathon anyway, if symptoms flare up or if you don't reach your A goal, it's just a, it's just a factor that we've considered to making that decision. And so that's when I think writing things down on paper, writing all the pros and cons, and then just making the decision means that you're not too disappointed if symptoms flare up because it's what we expect if we take on those risks. And um, yeah, it just mentally prepares you and mentally, um, yeah, can make the recovery a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. And like you said, there'll always be another race unless there's another pandemic, but what are the chances of that happening? Years. <laughs> <laughs> so Brody, thank you so much. We would love to have you come back and perhaps next time we can talk about shin splints, hamstrings and Achilles tendinopathy. If, if you're up for it. I'm always up for it. Yeah, absolutely. So then our listeners that want to get in touch with you besides listening to the Run Smarter podcast, which I'm totally going to recommend for everybody right now, where else can they find you? Yeah, thanks. Um, so if, um, the first 10 episodes of the Run Smarter podcast covers the 10 universal principles to overcome and prevent running injuries. And so always recommend listening to those first 10 um, if you, and then you can scroll through afterwards to find episodes that you're um that might intrigue you a little bit more at the moment there's about 150 episodes for you to choose from um but if you do listen and want to um learn more so i'm pretty active on instagram so at run smarter series is my um my instagram handle so blogs um research papers exercises to do all those sort of things that are, um you can read um, yeah, I'm pretty active on that. Uh, you can find the podcast Facebook group is also another one. And I also have, um, if you search run smarter in your, um, app store, I also have an app that has all the podcast episodes, blogs, um, online courses, everything that you, you want to learn about will be there. So they can do that as well. 
Thank you so much for talking to us today. Like I say, always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the next episode that I'm on. Thank you again, Brody, so much for coming onto our show. We really appreciate all the great information that you provide us with. And if you guys have any questions for him, I encourage you to reach out. Brody is super nice. So that wraps it up for today's podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed all the content. I hope that you can manage increasing your running and staying injury-free. And if you are in a place where you have an injury, I wish you happy healing. Until next time, have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.